0: Welcome back, everybody, to The Richard Roper Show. I am Richard Roper. Thanks to everyone, as always, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Super Bowl, new movies, and streaming material coming your way. But first, before we get to the fun, we get to the fun business, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity.
1: Mahomes, pressure, lofting one, end zone incomplete. Juju Smith-Schuster couldn't catch up. There's a flag at the 10. Hang on, there's a penalty. Fire to the pass, holding. Number 24, defense,
0: five-yard penalty, automatic. Worst case scenario, you'll see James Bradbury, they're going to say he grabs him. He's got his left hand on his back. I don't know. Mike, listen, I think on this stage, just, it changes the entire complexion of how this classic game is going to end. Butker, up, got it!
1: Here we go. Hurts as all day now some rushers come going to throw it as far as his arm can take it which is well short and the kansas city chiefs have won super bowl 57
0: that's a little bit of the fox tv play -play of super bowl lvii the super bowl between the kansas city chiefs who took down the philadelphia eagles 38 to 35 probably one of the top five super bowls of all time lots of drama on and off the field some great plays uh we are going to talk some sports here guys and uh, trust me we're going to get to the pop culture stuff although i consider sports definitely a part a huge part of popular culture just a reminder too the richard roper show was originally called screen time because the whole idea behind this podcast is to talk about anything that'll appear on any type of screen whether it's the big screen your smart device uh, widescreen television ipad you name it that includes movies and TV, which is what we talk about most of the time, but also sports and even a little bit of politics once in a while. Not too much politics, but some. And we'll have a little bit on that in the podcast today. Uh, first of all, in terms of the game, you got of love Philadelphia sports fans, in particular Eagles fans who have famously booed Santa Claus and pelted him with uh, snowballs in the past and uh, we're seeing uh, around Temple University overturning a car uh, before the game, and everyone cheering about that. I, I don't, I don't know why turning over a car proves you're a great fan. I always feel bad because it's usually like this mid-sized used sedan that gets overturned because it's on a public street somewhere. And I always picture some some poor individual who went out and got a car a few years back. Maybe it was the first car for a job or a second car for a family. They put down their down payment and they're making their monthly payments and just trying to get by, and then these idiot fans, turn your car over. I mean, <laughs> what are you doing? And then um, before the Super Bowl even started, they booed, Eagles fans booed Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback. They booed him as he was accepting the Walter Payton Award, the Humanitarian of the Year Award, uh, the highest off-field accolade in all of professional football, named, of course, after the late great Walter Payton, and you know every NFL player who has received it has talked about what a great honor it is, and they booed him for doing good works because he's on the Cowboys. So Eagles fans are nothing if not uh, if not very very consistent. They either love you or they love to hate you, and I think even the Cowboys and Dak Prescott probably think you know all right that that's how you guys are. As long as it doesn't devolve into you know horrible slurs or physical assaults if you want to be an idiot fan I, i'm all i'm fine with that being an idiot fan i personally didn't care who won the game other than my parlay bets none of which came in still waiting for miles sanders to score a touchdown you know what are you gonna do you you, you take your shots a, a couple of things about the game itself uh, well, i'll talk a little bit about the super bowl commercials and of course i know people have been talking about these commercials for weeks that's one of the interesting things guys as recently as i'd say seven or eight years ago, uh, we had to wait until the day of the Super Bowl to see the full Super Bowl slate of ads. There'd be some teases and maybe one or two of them would leak online. But the whole idea was you're paying six, $7 million for a a spot in the Super Bowl. You wanted to hang on to that. And the the advertisers have have changed their philosophy in recent years and have said, you know, let's get these ads out there. Let's get them out there online and get as much exposure as we can. We're still going to get more than 150 million people Plus watching the, the Super Bowl ads as they occur. I think, you know, in some cases there might have been some concern that people are doing other things during commercial breaks, not sitting just there for the for the ads. But there are so many pieces afterwards about them. Um, I like the fact that I don't have to sit there and write a real time column, you know, critiquing all the Super Bowl ads. Uh, certain themes we saw this year that have been become really big. They've always been big, but uh, even more so. Uh, the celebrities uh, reprising uh, beloved roles. You saw Alicia Silverstone in a clueless callback. Remember a few years ago, you saw Bill Murray in a groundhog day ad uh, for Jeep. And Matthew Broderick has brought back uh, Ferris Bueller and even Ben Stiller doing a little bit of his blue steel in his, uh, in the ad. uh, What was it for Pepsi? Who gives a shit? They, they paid for it. They want to sponsor this podcast. Come, come find us. Uh, Those are fun. A lot of big stars, you know, your John hams and, People like that. Uh, It's one of the things to remember when when people talk about the the cost of Super Bowl ads. That's how much they're paying the network to get on the air. Then they got to shell out the big bucks to Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez for the Dunkin' Donuts ad uh, to uh, Serena Williams, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the the reason why they're doing that, you know, you get Sylvester Stallone. Now, he's doing it for Paramount Plus, so it might be part of his deal with Tulsa King. But there's a lot of money that goes out there. And of course, you get a lot of ads for movies, for TV shows. It's, there was a lot, there's a streaming service. Which was the, which streaming service was it? Fubo TV, tubo TV, to Tubi, to be, to be, to be or not to be. Uh, and their their whole thing was um they played us, they tricked us into thinking that someone that's you'd sat on your remote, and then all of a sudden, you weren't watching the super bowl you were watching uh choices on on to the streaming platform which by the way is owned by fox which by the way was showing the game that's the only reason why they agreed to that ad i'm sure not a huge fan of ads that make the viewer feel like they've been punked there was a, a beer commercial i think it was for blue moon and it was all about two other beers miller i want to say miller light and Coors. and at the very end they said oh this is really an ad for blue moon listen i'm talking about it and i guarantee you that the you know the the hotshot ad uh, copywriters and account execs, that's exactly what they want to get that kind of reaction. Again, not a huge fan of that. Uh, there was also one, uh, there was a promo for a Fox show called The Accused, or Accused, not The Accused. The Accused was the movie with, uh, the great movie with Jodie Foster, but Accused, which is a, a pretty okay TV series, uh, kind of a self-contained one-hour show law and order, if you will, told from the point of view of whoever is accused of the crime. So we see the crime taking place and then the trial and then flashbacks. I didn't give it two and a half stars, but they quoted me as saying it was outstanding in the Super Bowl ad, which is not inaccurate. I believe I said the performances were often outstanding, but to just take that one word, eh, I'm not thrilled about it. I'm also not going to, you know, demand a retraction, but you could find almost any review of mine and say, and find a couple of words to make it sound like I loved the TV show or the movie. I, I will tell you this in 95% of the cases, if I'm blurbed, if you will, if someone's going to quote something from my review, a lot of times they'll want to take a longer uh, set of thoughts, a sequence, and compress it, as long as it doesn't uh, obscure or alter the true meaning of the quote when I first wrote it or said it on this podcast or on television, I almost always approve it. But I do appreciate they come to me, Apple TV Plus or Netflix or Paramount or Universal, whatever the case may be, a representative will say, hey, Rich, we'd love to use some quotes from your rave review of the whale for Brendan Fraser's Oscar campaign. I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I wrote what I wrote and I meant it and I, they have my full permission. But it, it's always nice to be asked. So Super Bowl ads, as always, getting people talking. Also in the world of pop culture, of course, uh, there was Rihanna, the halftime show, and this is what happens with every halftime show ever, except for a few that are just universally praised. A lot of people loved Rihanna. I thought she did a great job. We understand that there's a lot of lip syncing, whether it's the national anthem or halftime show. If you're going to do 20 minutes of dancing around and costume changes and all that other stuff, listen, we know when you see performers live, a lot of them anyway, there's going to be some vocal enhancement, but it was pretty, pretty amazing show. I've seen some theories saying that it was actually a tribute to her pregnancy, that the order of the songs, because it was uh, confirmed after the halftime show that Rihanna is indeed pregnant with her second child. And if you go from where have you been, only girl in the world, we found love, work, all of the lights, run this town umbrella through diamonds that is kind of carrying us through the arc the journey, if you will, of bringing a child into this world, and that those, those funky little white wiggling dancers uh, were sperm. Okay, how about that? I don't know if that's actually true, but I like the idea. A uh, huge production, halftime show takes like a half hour. I thought it was pretty great. Might have served the NFL a little bit better to add a little bit even longer time to the halftime break so they could fix the field you hear about that, well, if you watch the game, you saw it. Players were were slipping all over the place like they were playing, you know, uh, in a public uh, park somewhere that's also used for Little League games and company picnics and family reunions. Uh, You even saw at one point this huge pile of shoes because guys kept changing their cleats. This story from CNN, players criticized terrible playing surface. This is pretty amazing. TV cameras showed many players from both teams slipping throughout the game including uh, the Eagles kicker, Jake Elliott. It looked like he, he wiped out, but he managed to get the kickoff down the field. Eagles defensive end, Hassan Reddick, told reporters, it's the worst field I ever played on. It was hard. I beat my man a couple of times trying to turn the corner and just was slipping. To his credit, though, Reddick also said, it's the NFL. It is what it is. And, you know, the field was the same for both sides. Eagles star left tackle. Jordan Milita said it was like playing in a water park. It did look terrible. It's kind of incredible. And I will say this, just going back to the Eagles defensive uh, team, which, you know, their defensive line considered one of the best. Their defense as a whole, one of the best. They couldn't get to Patrick Mahomes, uh, partially because the uh, Mahomes somehow was able to evade the rush most of the time, even with that high ankle sprain getting aggravated. And the offensive line of the Chiefs did a great, great, great job. But especially if you're an edge rusher and you're depending on speed and agility, can you imagine losing your footing? I think it's going to affect you a lot more than it's going to affect an offensive lineman who's taking smaller steps and backing up. Uh, the State Farm field surface says the NFL met the required standards for the maintenance of natural surfaces, whatever that means. It's a natural grass surface. It was tested throughout Super Bowl week. What did they do to test it, though? Did, I mean, you, you almost should really get a full scrimmage going out there. Yeah, you're going to rip it up a little bit, but see how players re- are reacting. I mean, did they actually have football-sized players, individuals? You could certainly get a round up a group, you know, really kind of testing out the surface, the state farm stadium they say is made of a specific blend of two types of Bermuda grasses and rye grass. It's the same turf used on many golf courses across the world. Golf courses. I mean, and listen, the maintenance of golf courses, we see those, those matches, you know, across the world. It's one of the first great uses of color TV in the 1960s. People say, Oh man, you gotta go watch golf on TV because you know, the courses are so beautiful and green and lush, but golf and football slightly different wear and tear on the, surface on the turf and this is a turf that they actually kind of roll in on a tray they had like months and months to work on this and then they, a lot of people thought also maybe the paint job you know the logos and everything uh, was adding to the slipperiness of it that certainly seems to me like some th- something uh, that you could address especially for the super bowl and then you get the halftime show and you've got 500 people out there building and dismantling the set and all of that i'm sure that doesn't help It always has been interesting, like here in Chicago, where I'm doing the podcast, Soldier Field has notoriously had trouble with their playing surface, whereas uh, Wrigley Field and Guaranteed Field, which is where the White Sox play, formerly known as Comiskey Park, have some of the best groundskeeping crews in the history of sport and do a beautiful job, even after, because, of course, Chicago weather can be so punishing, and they do a great job on that. So come on, guys, get the effing field playable. But they did have the same surface, so equal playing surface. For both teams. Uh, and as you would expect, of course, we had some people who were offended by various things. This is a great story from The Guardian, Georgia Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't know if she ever does any legislative work. She r- runs around with a balloon and is always at fundraisers and doing press conferences and podcasts, but she's very excited about Chris Stapleton's Super Bowl performance she said that it was amazing chris stapleton just sang the most beautiful national anthem at the super bowl but we could have gone without the rest of the wokeness she tweeted we all we all realize now when people say woke that it's it's a thinly veiled uh, racial slur we know that that's what that means right that when people say oh you're all woke but this is the part i love because uh, of course uh Marjorie Taylor Green and uh, Lauren Boebert, that uh, that other idiot congressperson. They were offended by um Charlie Ralph singing Lift Every Voice and Sing, even though it's been around for like a hundred years. And there was a team of all female pilots performing a navy flyover, which is incredible. I mean, that's amazing. Here's what I love about the about this story, though, as The Guardian points out. Ms. Green appeared to be unaware of Mr. Stapleton's support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Following the 25 May 2020 murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, Chris Stapleton appeared on CBS this morning and said, Do I think Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. I don't know how you think they could possibly think they don't. Good for you, Chris Stapleton. Wah, wah, wah. To you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, as usual, just shoots her mouth off without really doing any deep dive thinking or the least bit of research. For the record, I thought singing Lift Every Voice and Sing, which by the way, they've been doing for a few years now. Why not? It's a beautiful anthem. It's about unity and strength and togetherness. It's been around for decades. And I thought Shirley Ralph, again, probably lip syncing. But, you know, it's it was beautiful. And then Chris Stapleton did do a beautiful version, proving that there are so many ways to do a very, very difficult song, as we all know, hitting the notes in the Star Spangled Banner. There's room for that all through uh, the pantheon of sports and the world. And when Lauren Boebert says, do football, not wokeness, shut the fuck up, you know. What are you saying right there? And let's also celebrate the fact we had two black starting quarterbacks for the first time in Super Bowl history that has done so much good for many cultures, for many communities, and so many players, including Dak Prescott, have done so much good. Uh, So where does the sport begin? I mean, what do you want? You want to go back to the 1930s? They probably do. I shouldn't ask that question. So you're always going to get people, and, and, of course, Trump, making his idiotic comments on whatever uh, liar social dot whatever, whatever platform he's on. You can pretty much predict what people are going to say. Uh, normal, sane, rational people on both sides of the aisle, moderate, conservative, and liberal who aren't crazy, will appreciate the game and comment on the commercials and the quality of play and maybe get mad at the refs, even though I don't think the refs really affected the outcome of the game. Sorry, Philadelphia. And then you're going to get your fringe characters on both sides of things, we're going to look for conspiracies, and also something to support whatever their effed up agenda is. So they they act outrage where they know going in that they're going to say what they're going to say about this. All right, Super Bowl recap for you, my friends. We're going to talk about some new stuff coming your way on the big screen and the small screen. But first, here's a few words from Rowan about Portillo.
1: I think it is time to tell you about Portillo's. Okay. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth. Right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses. Whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. That's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken. Telling you, if you have a Portillo's. The burger. Eight, the burger's great. Yes. That's right. and, and you can get beer at the Portillo's too if you go nice, into the store. Nice. I'm just going to tell you right now if you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Roe and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're going to have ever in that kind of a food environment like fast casual you know it's not exactly fast food you can sit down it's nicer but it's super great portillos.com p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s.com ask your friends in chicago about it portillos.com every year all these guys fight for their career
0: If you're going to be a professional golfer, you have to accept the fact that it's just going to be a wild ride. You don't know what's going to happen.
1: The PGA Tour consists of almost 50 tournaments a year. You win tournaments, you can make millions. You lose, you walk away with nothing. You picked a hell of a year to start following the PGA Tour. (laughs) The Highs are really high and the lows are really low and live somewhere towards that top. Shit's about to get fun. Tell Joey to move his fucking cart. I'm trying to get my
0: big break, player. You need to go to the putting green. Okay, that's a little audio from Full Swing on Netflix. Now, this is fascinating, guys. Talking about the world of sport, and then we were just talking about golf courses. Uh, this is an eight-part documentary series taking us behind the scenes of the PGA Tour. Now, I'll preface this by saying, first of all, I, I think it's fantastic. It's really, really good. I give it three and a half stars out of four. Uh, but I think it's particularly telling guys and gals and however you want to identify yourself. I respect that. But I'm not a huge golf guy. So I think it's even more of a tribute that I was riveted to this series that I'm not a huge golf fan. I mean, I, I, um, I, I know I could probably name you most of the historically great golfers and maybe 15 out of the top 20 golfers right now who are on the tour. I like to tune in on Sundays to watch the final round, especially of of the majors. Uh, But I'm not somebody, first of all, I'm the one of the world's worst golfers. Uh, know, I'll tell you the truth, decent enough athlete when it comes to the other sports. I played uh, football in high school. I played organized baseball until I was in my early 20s and then realized it probably wasn't going to get the the call from the White Sox, uh, given that a lot of guys in the major leagues were younger than me. Uh, but, you know, pretty good athlete and a huge sports fan, as you guys know. Uh, but it's it's baseball, football, basketball, boxing, hockey, and some other sports. You know, I'm becoming more and more of a soccer fan. Uh, golf is not something. And, and, again, part of it is because I, I really, really, really respect how hard it is because I suck. Uh, I think Happy Gilmore without the results. I have a baseball player swing, and I'm, uh, I have some friends who are really, really good golfers who through the years have been very patient with me and have taken me out to some nice courses in the Chicago area. And after about three holes, they're like, you know, why don't you go to the clubhouse? There's some games on. You can get a beer. We'll see you in a three or four hours because you're never going to get through 18 holes. So I'm bad. Not that you have to be great at a sport to be a fan of it, but I think a lot, of the, my, a lot of my friends who are huge golf fans are also regular golfers. But what I loved about this series is that it takes us behind the scenes because I think the PGA Tour, listen, there's it has its controversies and it has... You know, there's colorful characters from time to time, the John Daly's of the world. But, you know, there's a lot of guys named Dustin and Justin and Troy and Colin and Jordan, uh, you know, on the tour. And there's an almost uh, robotic level to how good they are. You know, Tiger Woods obviously is a huge exception and in, in, in terms of talent and every, every other aspect of what we're talking about. Uh, and this is kind of cool because they, the golfers here gave – full access, the PGA, uh, to the Netflix cameras, which are everywhere. And I think some of these golfers, uh, guys like Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, you know, we don't really know that much about them. And at first, they're pretty guarded. But we've seen this, and I've seen this behind the scenes as well. The longer a crew follows you around, the more you drop your guard somewhat, and open up. You just get used to it. And it's a lot in some of these cases, they spent a month with Rory McIlroy, the great, the great golfer who has been become kind of the leader de facto leader of the PGA tour. And they do get into the whole live controversy. Of course, Uh, that is the, um, the, the upstart tour that is backed by uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, very controversial. And, um, Phil Mickelson, Greg Norman leading the charge, and they get into all of that. So there's some good built-in controversy. But it's also just really interesting to see the different approaches to the game. These guys, of course, at the top of the sport, you know we're talking private jets and huge mansions in Jupiter, Florida, and you know, just beautiful lives. But you know, the pressure of the PGA, you know, it is very different., you know, tennis has the same kind of thing. You get one winner, you know, not just a major, but on the PGA tour, you have to beat one hundred and fifty of the best golfers in the world. Over a four-day grind, and that's one of the things I found interesting about this series is because you see some of these guys. Now, some of these guys, like Brooks Kepka, he does look like an athlete. You know, he's he, he kind of built like a like a strong safety. But some of the other guys who you don't think of necessarily as athletes because they kind of just have bodies like regular folks like us. It's kind of interesting to see how much time almost all of them spend in the weight room working out, working on their shots. Uh, and we also get to meet and get to know a little bit more uh, golfers like uh, Tony Finau, who is one of the best players in the world, but he tours with his wife and five children. Some people say that if he didn't do that, he'd have fewer distractions. Others are saying that should be commended. So there's stuff about family lives, personal lives, and the great, great game of golf. It's called Full Swing. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Also want to mention the good old-fashioned movie, a feature-length film playing in theaters. It's called Marlowe.
1: Los Angeles, the city of angels. More like the city of dirty little secrets. People pay me to look into the activities of its finest citizens. I'm a private detective. The name is Philip Marlowe. How private are your investigations, Mr. Marlowe? What can I do for you?
0: I'd like you to find my lover. He disappeared without saying goodbye.
1: Did he have things to hide?
0: Haven't we all?
1: down the rabbit hole i'm not afraid to take you with me i do like this thing about not being afraid we should be
0: and your secrets
1: you'll have to keep those too
0: you can add liam neeson to the list of leading men who have played uh raymond chandler's gumshoe philip Marlowe. of course one of the most famous private detectives in uh, fiction and of course in cinematic history uh, Dick Powell, most famously Humphrey Bogart in The Big Sleep, Robert Montgomery, James Garner, Elliot Gould, and Robert Mitchum twice have played Philip Marlowe. We haven't seen a Philip Marlowe uh, film in 40 years, more than 40 years, I guess. So it's kind of cool to see Liam Neeson come back. And the story's set in 1939, Los Angeles, so it's classic film noir stuff. Uh, they acknowledge that Liam Neeson is Irish, so Philip Marlowe now becomes an Irish expat who was a World War I veteran. He fought with the Royal Irish Rifles of the British Army. Then he became an LAPD cop. Now he's a private detective, and you get the the obligatory uh, mystery blonde who comes in uh, to his office, that played by Diane Kruger, the wonderful actress, and she wants him to find her missing lover who works on a studio lot. And from there, of course... Marlowe is plunged into this world of uh, salacious activities and deep intrigue. And uh, it, it's really, really well done, guys. Um, the director is Neil Jordan, who did The Crying Game and Michael Collins. Uh, William Monahan wrote the screenplay, the adapted screenplay. He won an Academy Award for The Departed. The cast not only includes Liam Neeson and Diane Kruger. Uh, but Academy Award winner Jessica Lange and a lot of other fine supporting players. So not a great film. It kind of leans almost too heavily into the noir stuff and almost, I don't want to say it gets campy, but you kind of know where it's going. But you can tell all these great actors are having a good time speaking this dialogue that's very much of the films of the time or the late 30s in Los Angeles, which is such a great setting for film noir. So check out Marlowe if you can. I'm going to end it there. I had some other stuff, that we can talk about it on the next podcast. Uh, Let's leave on that positive note. Thanks to everyone, as always, for listening. I'm Richard Roper, and we will speak soon.